John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 134.ez1106, certificate number 31305, Bloody Mose. If you try to Google Bloody Mose, it assumes you mean bloody nose. It gives you right. hundreds of... You, you made a typo, and most of the time, Google's right. I didn't make a typo. Yeah, you don't normally Google bloody mo's. Bloody mo's? Uh, and that's because this is a recently unearthed story from kind of an underserved uh, nook of history, which is the kind of thing we like yeah, here on Omnibus. We this, do. This is the kind of thing we want to go into the record. Sometimes it was- it's, it's whimsical to put these kind of footnote stories into the official record. This is a case where we get to feel very virtuous. Oh, good. For putting this story in. <laughs> I don't often get to feel that way. You know, I we are putting these little known stories from our time, but by virtue of having put them in the omnibus, they become widely known and and uh, seemingly universal stories for future links, right? So they look back and they go, what do you mean? Yeah. Bloody Mose is like one of our core the only thing tales. We know, the only thing we know about calendars are those two weird ones you guys did shows about. We don't know what your normal calendar was, nor, nor do we care. Yeah, we had to reinvent math by <laughs> listening to your shows and then trying to back engineer them. So maybe you should not try to, uh, if you don't want to fill in the future only about the trivia of a culture, should we just do a show on cars? Cars. <laughs> Here's what cars were. Jobs. Here's a show called Writing Things Down. Written language. You guys are going to love it. Um, no, I mean, the reason to feel, I mean, I'm joking about feeling virtuous, but like so many kind of underserved and forgotten crannies of history, this one involves um, the American continent's troubled history and legacy with people of color, uh, and, both who, indigenous people and the enslaved peoples brought here. Who unearthed this story? Okay, are you going to start with the? I don't mean to. I don't mean to no, know, no, jump no. on top of your notes and let's tell you how some, to do it. Let's do some meta narrative here. <laughs> Ken, talk about your creative choices. Yeah, Ken, how uh, how did you discover the story of Bloody Mose? This was suggested by a listener named Connor. Oh, who contributed to the Patreon? Well done, Connor. Sent us a, a, a list of like pretty good uh, omnibus ideas, including one about the island of Lanai, which I was very tempted to do because it's got so many. We both love Hawaii, yeah. and it's got Lanai has so many just crazy episodes from pineapple plantations all the way up to well, Larry Ellison. Right. <laughs> Let's save it because I think Lanai is a good show. Maybe Connor's going to get two for the price of one here. Yeah. But he mentioned a name that I had never heard before, Francisco Menendez, and I thought, um, you know, no idea. Uh, uh, sure. Uh, Conga orchestra leader of the 40s. Um, I would have bought it. Uh, Portuguese uh, um, fascist dictator. Who knows? Right. Really, literally, no way to know. Yeah, he could be a he could be like a a, a fruit and vegetable picker union organizer. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's streets named for him in the Latino districts of many a southwestern city. Mm-hmm. Literally, no way to know. Baseball except, player. Except uh, right, heroic baseball player. Um, but. It was a little bit hard to find out about Not Francisco Menendez. to say that people, people with Hispanic yeah. names are only fruit pickers and baseball players. Now I'm hearing myself talk. Well, I he said, could be, you know, a, a, like a, a great uh, district court judge. I said, uh, what, Maracas wielding band leader and um, 
and fascist dictator. <laughs> right. So I feel like mine are much more empowering. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, d- duly noted. But there's not, so yeah, so, you know, could be anything. Uh, and there wasn't a lot, you know, it, it proved to be somewhat hard to research because the story of Menendez and his city is a little bit lost in the, in the maw of history. He um, had it, uh, his own city? He had his own city. Oh. And uh, a remarkable city. Uh, I found a, an article by uh, Jordan Blumetti, who kind of had done original research on the story of Menendez and how it had come to light in the 20th century. You know, uh, historians, including some black historians, uh, Zora Neale Hurston, the famous um, Florida historian and novelist, had written about the story of Fort Mose, but it hadn't really been followed up by mainstream or white historical societies, it doesn't really fit into the narrative of where our story is set, which is St. Augustine, Florida. Florida has such a distinguished history of race relations and, and transitions. Some of it in, in St. Augustine, but, you know, famously America's oldest continuously inhabited city, right? In 1565, one Pedro Menendez de Avila is just maybe a few decades after Ponce de Leon uh, arrives in Florida looking for his son Juan, who has gone missing in a hurricane. His his ship is is disappeared. Oh, so, so, so he's, he's just he crosses an ocean looking for just bopping along the coast Juan, looking for Juan, looking for a shipwreck. Um, finds a good harbor, uh, plants the flag of the King of Spain, and suddenly we have Saint Augustine, which you know almost five hundred years later is still an inhabited city, and you know probably a little bit annoyed that. Jamestown and the pilgrims up north get all the ink. Right. Um, but this is decades before them. It's a nice little town. Although, you know, the rising seas, of course, are going to wash it away. Uh, yeah. So for us, it's a nice little town. Yeah. It's got, it's got a good 10 years to go. Cute little pad. And kind of in love with the romance of its, um, of its history and its status as America's oldest settlement. Yeah, I mean that I mean we talked about Cahokia recently on the show, but it's America's oldest European settlement. How are you going to uh how are you going to sell mugs and t-shirts if you don't have some claim to fame? That's what St. Augustine is. It's a lot of mugs and t-shirts, kind of the the lore of uh of um, you know, privateer era Florida yeah. with all the pirates and the Caribbean and the rum and the all slavery right. unfortunately. <sighs> but you know, that stuff all gets downplayed because they want to sell, you know, mugs with skulls and crossbones on them. Yeah, the 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 time I visited there, I got out of the car, I walked around, I did a Griswold, I kind of, you know. What's a what's a Griswold? You know, you know the the scene in National Lampoon's Vacation where they pull over at the Grand Canyon and the Griswold family yeah. gets out and they do like a three head bob and then back in the car. It's it's widely uh known as a Griswold. In, pull, in our house, we place. use the word Griswold for a different tourism-related thing because we prefer the much superior European vacation, Oh, Phil. Oh, oh, you're going you're gonna to plant a flag that European vacation is a better film than National Lampoon's Vacation? I am really. I mean, Christmas Vacation is better than both of them, but this is, for us, a Griswold is when you, um, you either take a wrong turn or you don't get off the roundabout at the right exit, so you continue to see the same oh, you go landmark again. Look, kids, Big Ben in Parliament. <laughs> That's that's a Griswold time. I see, I see. So you've done a, the briefest of stops in St. Augustine. Yeah, I, I think I walked out on the pier and kind of, you know, like took a look at the mugs and the t-shirts, drove around. I like to drive up and down the, the streets a couple of times, but yeah, then I head, headed out. I had other, other places to go. Bigger sure. fish to fry. Bigger alligators yeah. to fry elsewhere. Um, so there's this missing chapter in St. Augustine history, kind of a shockingly multicultural enlightenment era experiment in uh, maybe a different way America could have gone uh, with America's, again, troubled history with indigenous and enslaved peoples. Is this pre-statehood? It's long, long pre-statehood. This is an 18th, this is pre-nationhood. Oh. This is an 18th century story. Um, And, uh, you know, despite this, uh, you know, being kind of a footnote in history and of interest to mainly black historians, it really didn't come out, and the site of Fort Mose was not unearthed until the 20th century, when an amateur local archaeologist began first digging in, metaphorically digging, then literally digging into the salt marsh, trying to find the setting of this story. I thought you were going to say digging in the sand there on the beach. And, and th- that archaeologist was nine years old. <laughs> no, I guess I guess digging in the sand is probably a better idea than digging into a salt marsh. Yeah. 
I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get sawgrass and gators. Yeah. That's sure. the, the Florida state motto. Sawgrass and gators. Sawgrass. It's on the Welcome license to place. Florida. <laughs> the story of Francisco Menendez begins in West Africa. He was a young Mandinga kid in the Gambia region of West Africa. I think, you know, for Roots fans our age, it's exactly where that story begins. Right. Um, Alex Haley's ancestors. And at some point around 1710, because again, the records were kind of murky and the people who would actually care were not allowed to keep records. Mm -hmm. um, he was taken on a slave ship across the ocean by, uh, uh, to what was then British North America, the Virginia colony. But, you know, then Virginia stretched into the Carolinas and then kind of sank into the Okefenokee and at some point Spain started. Right. Um, the it also went all the way west to yeah. Santa Barbara. Virginia had uh, <laughs> the Grand Canyon and the Great Salt Lake in it, too. Have you ever seen one of those maps where, like, the um, period maps where the original 13 colonies kind of just extend, they their, just their land grants extend west? Yeah. So it's like Connecticut is this little <laughs> tiny band that, like, hits, Goes the, through hits the Great Lakes but then starts again in Michigan somehow. <laughs> it's it's a shame that's not, uh, you, know, you can't uphold those in court. Um. We, the problem with, again, this chronicle is we don't have, you know, Menendez did never kept any kind of diary or journal, you know, because he was a slave and right. wasn't allowed to. Um, but from what we know of him, it's a fascinating story. He escapes twice his, his plantation where he's being forced to work into the swamps. Um, at one point, he spends some years with the Yamasee Indians, a local tribe. And in fact, leads these Native Americans in campaigns against the British, against the plantation owners in the area. So, you know, he's, he's on the right side during the Indian Wars. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, either a warrior when he was in Gambia or a natural born fighter. A talented uh, young person in a lot of respects. I guess there's some history work on this I wasn't aware of that really emphasizes that for a lot of these what are called the Atlantic Creole people of this time, these displaced and enslaved people. Um, you know, it was a terrible atrocity, of course, but in many individual cases, it created people who were um, incredibly linguistically facile, you know, could speak multiple languages, had great, um, you know, social agility. They were, you know, comfortable with, a, you know, with this Native American tribe, but also they could deal with their white oppressors and they, you know, they could speak many of the African languages of the other slave peoples and um you know just incredible you know plastic brains adaptable right. to all these terrible situations they were being forced to to confront and stay afloat in and you know many of them just did so with with incredible grace and ability apparently that's got to be a a human trait that has that evolved over millennia right because that's a that had to have been a commonplace situation for a human being to find themselves Be on the in. wrong side of a war or a slave trade. Yeah, and right. Captured by one group of people and brought somewhere else and used initially as an interpreter, but then you become a, you know, like enmeshed in all these. Look know, at, trying to figure out an angle. Yeah. Trying, trying to figure out how to just stay afloat. In Alexandria or in Constantinople. I mean, all um, um, around the world, right? Yeah. You would have a real advantage if you had that kind of plasticity. And maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a small group of people that actually just catch enough breaks to be able to, you know, who gets the call from the the satrap at the right time. And right. suddenly this person becomes Joseph in Egypt and, and has a privileged position that, you know, that a hundred people, no matter how able, wouldn't be able to, to attain. I don't have but, that quality. I, I want, I want macaroni and cheese every Thursday. I'm really set in my ways. I'm. I yeah, just, I wear I feel the like same I would just, four black t-shirts. I feel like I would just keep my head down, you know? Uh -huh. Like, there's no, there's never going to be the Jennings slave revolt. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, hey, of course. Guys, hey, guys, I think we should maybe do what, what he says. Hey, guys. He just thinks we should work till, like, till all night. And I, <laughs> there'd be a lot less trouble if, if we did it. Um, but you, so I really admire this kind of, I mean, I admire the Nat Turners of the world who are like, this sucks. Yeah. But also this guy who is like, um, how do I get out of here and you know make something make a better world? But also not just run, turn around and <laughs> right. take a bar. Like instead of going as far as he can, he's like, now that I've got these guys with um with uh, tomahawks, right? You know, now we got some some bows and arrows and stone headed axes. Um, I've got a list of people. You know, it's 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 Game of Thrones. So they start a f they start a frontier. Yes, and there is a frontier between um, again the the Carolinas 
and then across the St. Mary's River into Florida. And what's interesting is that the, the situation vis-a-vis slavery is very different uh, on either side of that river. The Spanish... Now, the Spanish hate the British, and the British hate the Spanish. They're, they're, they're fighting for superiority in this new global geopolitical realm. There's a whole hemisphere to fight over. Still true to this day. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want the Spanish to come off super great in this story because they are totally doing genocides all over the Caribbean. They invented it. Well, at least in the Americas. <laughs> it was called Genocidio. We had to translate it. No, I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah, you know, they don't have the best track record with indigenous people in the Caribbean. I don't think we need to right. make that case. Um but they hate the but slavery is treated differently in the law there. And again, I want to stay on the right side of not being like, hey, it's, this is the good kind of slavery. Are you both sidesing the Spanish and English? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to slavery get, game. I'm going to get to the point of defending Spanish slavery at least in comparison to the English slavery. Okay. And I do not want to sound like one of these. Hey, a lot of those masters were actually pretty chill yeah, to the sure. slaves. Guys. Let me just asterisk here that I am against slavery. I don't you, know about Ken. You hate all the kinds equally, and even to distinguish between them seems like uh, you know. Really, a waste of time. I have a I have on my list of omnibus topics the Barbary pirates, and we're really going to get into it then. We're going to get some pirates this time too. If anybody is thinking of tuning out, because um, we keep talking about um, uh, ranking slavery, <laughs> <ranking slaveries. laughs> there will be pirates. Please, please stick around, and not the kind of baseball pirates that uh, outfielder Francisco Menendez played for right. before his tragic plane crash. Um. In Spain, you know, in in British in uh, Brit- the British parts of the world at this time, basically, it, you know, if you're black, you're a slave. You know, yeah. that, that's like a natural state for a certain kind of person disfavored by God. You know, yeah. you're you're just an automatically a slave, and you do what we say. In Spain, there's no such um, system. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; they're enslaving a ton of black people and and native tribes. But in Spain, it's more about becoming Catholic. That's a huge part of it. You know, slaves have legal rights there; they can. They can, you know, take people to court. They can have property. You know, there's some, at least there's some legal protections. And as a tactic, you know, it, the kind of slavery being wielded there is mostly um, religious. You know, it's a different kind of slavery. But look, if you are a baptized Catholic, and if you swear allegiance to the King of Spain, and, you know, you would be a really valuable tool in our arsenal against the hated British. So the King of Spain would love to build up black militias of runaway slaves from British plantations, or maroons, as they're called at the time. So in 1725, Menendez leads a group of runaway slaves across the St. Mary's River um, into Florida. Yeah, so in the early 18th century, the Underground Railroad goes south. If you want to get off these awful plantations to freedom, you head south into the swamp. I mean, I bet you once they got there, they didn't find the... The uh, like, abolitionist Massachusetts uh, <laughs> uh, of their dreams. There, there weren't starchy, righteous sixty-year-old uh, women to to give them a <laughs> to sing hymns <laughs> to sing hymns and give them uh, clean clothes, right? right? But what you do have is uh, the Catholic Church saying, "Look, just get baptized and uh, and join the army for His Majesty, whoever the King of Spain is in whatever part of the 18th century this is," and. Um, and you 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 can be part of the culture. Spain's got a different history um, regarding a, a multiculturalism than England does. You know they've they've had a mixed society for years. You know the Moorish influence on Iberia has come and gone. They have a great track record with the uh, the Sephardic Jews. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Speaking of Spain and medieval Spain and multiculturalism, yeah, you know. We don't want to say they have a great record, but, I mean, they, they're accustomed to... Uh, yeah, the what, proximity to Africa, it's a different calculation. Yeah, and having, you know, North African peoples coming and going. So, you know, it doesn't freak them out that, um, you know, there might be a part of this town where people of color live. You know, there, there's a part of this town where people speak a different language. That's kind of expected in some of these old Spanish cities. Um, and also, they've, um, they've been in the Caribbean for hundreds of years, and they've... Uh, They've chartered free black colonies in Panama and Venezuela and some of their islands um, for the same reason, you know, to uh, to create a bulwark against British intrusion. It's exactly what it is. It's a, they are gonna they're not above using these people who already hate um, their Brit, former British slave owners. Enter Sir Francis Drake. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to say about Francis Drake? <laughs> 
I got nothing to say about him. You know, okay. my uh, one of my great, uh, great, great, great ancestors, uh, Captain John Rochester, was. This uh, seems like seems like it would be played by you in a costume in the movie. Oh, of course, John Rochester. <laughs> Here he is. I got it with a with a like a. That's no. That's uh, that's an ex parrot taped to my shoulder. God, that's such a nerd reference. I'm so sorry to everyone. We love Monty Python here, don't we, folks? Uh, let, uh, let's let, let's stop for a second and do our top ten favorite Red Dwarf episodes. Go. <laughs> uh, I uh, yeah, John Rochester was given a charter uh, to you know take a ship out and and um, and fight the Spanish in whatever that would have been sixteen aught. How do you do? Is there uh, a buried treasure maybe you could find? Well, he's we're, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> so if he's a direct ancestor, yeah, he must have done okay. He did. He did well enough to get some to get a land grant there around Jamestown. Are you? Do you feel like you might be descended from some dusky-eyed Caribbean Creole woman who fell in love with the dotty Captain Roderick? I would love nothing more. But when we do those DNA tests there's no evidence that there's anything interesting about us like the most interesting thing is like the people from cardiff dusky eyed zero (laughs) zero amount so the governor of florida will offer freedom to these uh escaped slaves but it's 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 pretty spotty because again this is the early 1700s right and i'm sure everybody nobody likes black people then you know it's yeah america is not that different than from now um so not everybody gets you know it's very much a judicial and clerical roulette whether you actually get freed or not but it wasn't a plantation culture it was definitely more of a <clears throat> yeah privateer people culture. are yeah people are hunting and fishing and uh, yeah trying to sink british ships <laughs> right <There's> a, <laughs> it's a it's a mercantile culture as well but yeah it's not like you know we in, you know in the carolinas at this point the black population the slave population outnumbers their masters right um because that's just the kind of labor you need to run that kind of awful system um, but Menendez himself, you know, another sign of his kind of uh, initiative and ability, he actually petitions the crown. He, he writes letters to the, oh. to Madrid or what, what would be the capital of Spain? Be Is it still in Toledo in, in the early 1700s? Yeah, probably. I'm not going to stop to look it up. He writes letters to, to, uh, to Spain. Let's yeah. put it that way. Okay. Asking for, um, La Corte, La Corte Real. Asking, yeah, there we go. Asking for universal freedom for, uh, for all escaped slaves entering Florida. From yeah. The the nascent United States from the British colonies. From those British colonies. He's not suggesting that that uh, that the enslaved people of Guyana are no. also s- released. No. But no. if you if you enter and get baptized, he thinks all those maroons should be freed and the governor of Florida agrees. And in 1738, I think largely in response to Menendez's petition, all such former slaves um, have legal freedom. Huh. So where do you put them? Um, a new town is fo- uh, founded called Gracia Real de Santa Teresa de Mose near St. Augustine. I mean, maybe this is a sign that they're not that completely yeah, given we know, their well, rights. It, it's a, the equivalent of the 1960s era. Well, what if they married your daughter? You know, <laughs> you're free. Where are you going to live? You're free. Let's find you someplace over there in the salt marsh. Right. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, a new town is founded. You know, Gracia Real is, you know, in honor of the royal grace of his majesty who has allowed uh, this experiment to occur. Mm-hmm. And even though this new town has a uh, has a Catholic priest on site and it has a Spanish military commander on site, Menendez himself has, you know, proved so able that he be- he's made a captain and he is in charge of this new city, uh, which is called Fort Mose, because what, of course, Spain is really interested in is... You know, t- first of all, taking as many slaves, disrupting the the affluent British slave economy of, of the Carolinas, and then also creating, as you say, um, a Liberia in the Americas. Well, yeah, but a Liberia that stands between them oh, and their enemies, like bulwark, like yeah. arming some. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, this base, so the interesting thing about the story is there is a Liberia in Florida, six hundred, five hundred. No, sorry, fifty years before America is a country, right? Um, almost. And now is this a, is this a case where Menendez is the one charismatic leader who given uh, authority over a community founded in his name is a benevolent and and a wonderful person into old age? He seems well I mean he has he continues to have other adventures. He's, he seems to be well liked by the community. Again, just not a lot of first hand 
ink on this guy. He doesn't turn evil, if oh, that's good, what you're good, concerned good. about. I was worried because usually when someone right. leads an escaped group and forms a new city, they become a monster. There is some violence to come. It is bloody Mose, but it's a kind we can get behind. Um, the um, So this Underground Railroad continues of Indian guides bringing um, parties of ex-slaves through the swamps, oh. and suddenly they have a free city to go to. You know, this becomes... It's a beacon. Yeah, it's a city on a hill. Oh, wow. But like a very different, you know, when we talk about the the Puritan city on a hill, that's a pretty white city. Yeah. There's and they're lo- not treating the local natives great. Probably a lot less condescension in uh, in the cities to the south. Yeah. I mean, Florida does not have a hill. It's in Florida, so it's a right. city in a, a city, city in a, a bog. In a sw- swamp marsh, right? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe there's no city in a bog speech <laughs> by Ronald Reagan. Um but the existence of this city and the trickle of slaves out of the Carolinas um, actually, uh, and what happens in 1740, actually begins to inspire slave rebellions up north in British territory. So the, it's know, a galvanizer. the king of Spain is looking very smart here yeah. with his plan to kind of destabilize the Virginia colony with thought warfare and hearts and minds. He's the Russian trolls of his time. He's just on Facebook, <laughs> just putting out <laughs> some crazy theories. He's putting them on parchment and handing them to a Seminole right. guy to take north. Um, but yeah, that's the equivalent of a bot farm yeah. in the, in the uh, where are we, the 1730s? Um, and it's exactly, I mean, the parallels to the to 19th century America are really interesting because, you know, slave owners get pissed off in the Carolinas. They hire professional slave catchers who are supposed to head into enemy territory and recover their property, but this time they're headed south. I always imagine that as a thing where they're headed up into Maryland, but... But But the first time it happened, they're like heading down to Florida to be like, hey, uh, senor, you've got our our property. So is Mobile part of... Has has Alabama become an American territory at this point? I mean, when does does Mobile and... and, uh, and all of that, like Gulf Coast, stop being Spanish. I feel like Spain. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get to the end of of Spanish. But Is right, that all the way up to the Louisiana Purchase? Yeah. At this time, um, it ends. It ends before America is a country. Like F- Spanish Florida has some rough times here in a second. But yeah, Florida Occidental, you know, the the western part of of Spain's dominion there goes all the way to the Mississippi. Yeah. So right. it's Mobile and and what is today New Orleans. Right. Nueva Orleans up at, uh, under Spanish rule. Um, so, Is that really what they called it? Yeah, I think so. Huh. Um, well, I mean, it was, it, I think it was probably founded by the French who called it New Orleans, and then when it came under Spanish dominion. They called it Nueva Orleans. Orleans. They didn't call it Nuevo um, what's the Toledo. Sp- what's the Spanish word for <laughs> What's the Spanish equivalent of words? You have to find out who the Spanish Joan of Arc is. But, but we didn't call New York New Amsterdam. We changed the name. <laughs> it was once New Amsterdam. Yeah. Why they changed it? I know. I know why. You know? Yeah. But you don't want to tell? No, no, I'll tell. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Amsterdam is maybe more closely associated with, you know, it's the capital of your, of one of your rivals. Yeah, right. Also, it's a low-lying swamp. You know, that's not what New York, I guess, I guess down in the Battery, it was kind of a low-lying swamp. It may have been more of a kissing up to, you know, whoever His Excellency the Duke of York was. I think it was the king's brother or something. So there was probably some guy who wanted to, you know, a company gets sold yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you've got a... 99%. That's the story. So in, um, but in 1740, the War of Jenkins' Ear breaks out. You know, the the hostility, you know, the tension between Spain and Britain and the New World finally boils over into war. Only the British call it the War of Jenkins' Ear because that's their propaganda thing. Really hard. Can, can you say that in Spanish? The War of Jenkins' Ear? La Guerra de la Oreja de la Idiota Jenkins. <laughs> the, I'm sure, I wonder what their name for it is. I'm sure it's the War of British Aggression or something. Yeah, right. But it was, you know, as you say, a battle of privateers and and uh, battles at sea. How did Jenkins' Ear get involved? Uh, it was. I think it was cut off with a saber. Yes. And so, and then he, he, the earless Captain Jenkins, gets paraded in front of Parliament. Like, look what these. Span- these evil Spanish pests have oh, been they, doing to our brave. They take him back to to uh, to inflame yeah. emotion. He gets he, the earless Jenkins becomes a propaganda sign. So the whole war is called the War of Jenkins. You're just like we might say, the, you know, we the, might have, the pig war exactly. Yeah. Or you know, you, you just name the war for the inciting incident. Like if you had if we had called the the, the, 20, the Tonkin, Tonkin Gulf incident, the Tonkin Gulf War. Yeah. yeah. Or our twenty year adventure in Afghanistan could have been the nine eleven war. The nine eleven war that should have been called. Yeah. That. Um, as part of the 
War of Jenkins ear. Uh, Jonathan Oglethorpe, the founder of the new colony of Georgia, heads south to make war on Spanish Florida. Sorry, George- ja- I said I said Jonathan Oglethorpe, but it's James Oglethorpe. Georgia had a great initial history. Boy, they really they really did a job down there. Luckily, um, things quickly turned good there, and nothing bad ever <laughs> happened in Georgia again. Um, so he and he leads an army south into Florida, and Fort Mose has become a a symbol of uh-huh. Spanish um, nose thumbing, and you know, probably also of. Uh, you know, African American ingenuity and right. uh, success. It's a, it's a thriving uh, example of exactly what they don't want in Georgia. And is it a is it a, a city of freed slaves, or is it like a polyglot, uh, multicultural? There are Native Americans there. There, there are, are yeah. There's there's uh, Native Americans. There's, um, there's a bunch of different languages being spoken: English, Spanish, African African languages, uh, Native American languages. God, it sounds like a fun town. Um, cultures are mixing. Um, it seems to be going well, but as soon as Oglethorpe's army comes, everybody has to leave Fort Mose because, you know, despite the name, it's not a great fort. And they have to retreat to an actual masonry fort in, uh, in St. Augustine. So they everybody hunkers down in Castillo de San Marcos. It's not a very big Castillo, so that's going to be uncomfortable. No, I think it's still there to this day. And, you know, and they just wait for the British cannon fire to end. And the siege continues for a month, and Menendez finally is fed up. And we know he's a, he's a man of great military ability. He decides to lead a daring pre-dawn raid on his former home of Fort Mose, which is now being occupied by Oglethorpe's men. It's the best kind of raid. Daring, pre-dawn. And pre-dawn. Yeah. And want, against the British. You don't want to do a cowardly, what would a cowardly pre-dawn raid be? Like maybe it's an accident? Well, no, you sneak around and you you know, it's like a sabotage raid rather than like a frontal assault. It's like getting up in a hotel room trying to use the bathroom without waking up the other person. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, the type of thing that Ken Jennings would do if it was a, if, if he was leading a Slade revolt. <laughs> hey, yeah. everybody, let's keep sh- let's keep it down. And uh, yeah, uh, Menendez has no such uh, compunction because this is where Mose gets its new name, Bloody Mose. Again, mm. this is an English propaganda title mm-hmm. because, as you might imagine, um, Menendez's army of freed slaves is. Uh, merciless. It, there's little love lost between them and their. So this is the little bighorn of of uh, pre pre American American Florida. Yeah. yeah. Um, so British soldiers are bludgeoned. They are castrated. They are beheaded. I mean, the kinds of atrocities you feel bad about. But then in a slave revolt, you're kind of like, well, you know, if anybody ever had bludgeoning coming, um. Nobody's ever really like, Nat Turner should have been nicer to those plantation owners, you know? So I feel like even today, in a culture that's where we're very correctly anti-violence. Yes. Um, you know. Famous, famously. I mean, the <laughs> King William's War and all those wars up in in uh, in Yankeeville, there was a lot of burning everyone to death up there, too. It was kind of the style of the time. Sure. And different cultures have different patterns of violence, you know, what what represents valor in war might, you know, seem like an atrocity on the other side and, you know, creates kind of racist tropes about scalping and whatnot. But, um, but in this case, I think we can feel pretty good. So they wipe them out. Well, you know, your name is Jennings and my name is Roderick. We're rooting for the ones that defeat our, our English ancestors. That's a kind of privilege we have. We know we came out okay with really a lot of the money of, of whatever this plantation economy was. So we have the, unfortunately we have the ease to say, man, yeah, stick it to the man, Francisco. (laughs) Um, Very few British survivors. Oglethorpe, you know, heads back to the Carolinas with his, or Georgia now with his tail between his legs. And uh, Mose is spared. And again, this becomes like Jenkins here, a symbol of the, evil Spanish and, you know, the, uh, I assume the, you know, what they would consider the cunning subhuman non-white uh, right. enemy. I wonder if it played into, it must have played into the narrative uh, that actually like freeing slaves was a dangerous uh, course to take because in, invariably they would They'll, then like, wipe us then out, stab right? you with a saber. Yeah. And they're not wrong. You know, word of the Mose success s- spreads north, and is, it's thought to have inspired many similar slave rebellions up north. You know, the success of Mose leads to the 
Stono Rebellion and other kinds of slave uprisings in the Carolinas at this time. So why is uh, Menendez not a, a a symbol of freedom? Yeah, you mean in to this? The you mean to this day? Why yeah. is there not stuff named after him? Yeah, why did he not become a a um, like a rallying cry? I think it's just because it's so surprisingly early. You know, nobody's looking for black heroes in the 1730s 17, in yeah. Florida of right. all places. You know. Um, so he's gone under the radar. And again, because little has survived about him. And Florida is still disconnected from the, uh, the United States yeah, to it's be. A, it's its own kind of culture, right? Right. Interesting. Um, just like it is today. So Fort, the men of you know, Fort Mose, you know, they can retake the fort, but they eventually move back to St. Augustine and actually, um, they actually join the, they actually join the culture there. Menendez does not. He, uh. He's now had a taste of uh, revenge against his oppressors, and he knows what will probably serve him well career-wise. He wants to be a pirate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. isn't that what you would do? You win <laughs> one military engagement, you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be a pirate now. 100%. There is a lot of—it's a growth industry at the time, pir- pirating, piracy. Yeah. I mean, the British are growing and making stuff, and Spain is taking it and burying it on beaches. <laughs> uh-huh. there's, two, there's two kinds of jobs. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of rum. There's some Spanish gold still. So Menendez, ho- gold. Menendez, Menendez hops aboard the Spanish Armada and heads to Europe because he wants to petition the king. He, you know, it's a time when uh, I guess there's not a lot of precedent for <laughs> different kinds of. I mean, there's plenty of precedent for racism, but within the Spanish Navy, maybe not. Like, I could be the black captain of a ship. You know, well, they're they're uh, they're they're impressing people into service, right? In every navy, right? So I think the navy the was Navy's always very polyglot. It and, always was, yeah, um, yeah. Because it's like, hey, you. But this guy could actually be a cop, the captain. This guy would not be swabbing the decks, right? right, you know? right, right. He's a hero, so he wants to petition the king. Like, I feel like I've I've earned like not just uh, legitimacy, but like I should have a pension. I should have officer status. Did you see how many people I bludgeoned and <laughs> and castrated at Fort Mose? Here, here. Unfortunately, on his way to Spain, his ship is captured by the British uh, ship Revenge. Appropriately named off North Carolina. It's a, but it's a little too late to enter Francis Drake. Yeah, Drake. It's not Drake, but it's you know, it's, it's one Captain of his Kidd accessories. or something. And uh, Menendez, unfortunately, has become a propaganda symbol. He is recognized immediately oh, uh, as dear. as the perpetrator of the atrocities of Fort Mose. He is tortured. Um, one of the historical records says he was brined and pickled. Oh dear! Which sounds—I don't know what that is, but it sounds oh, I know wor- it worse than waterboarding. Sure, you put put him in a barrel, a pickle barrel. All the that's gonna all, all this osmotic pressure. Yeah, your skin's not gonna like that. Water out of your body. Look, and he is returned to slavery in the Bahamas. Um, he's back on the plantation. This was oh, they don't kill him; they just put him back in chains. I mean, a fate worse than death. It really is. Like killing might be a mercy as opposed to, hey, why don't you go work a sugar plantation or whatever oh, it is in the Bahamas? Man. Like they really know uh, how to stick it to a guy. And this is just the kind of risk that escaped slaves always ran. No matter, you know, he's on his way to petition the king of Spain. He's a military hero, and nope, just like the Solomon Northrop guy in Twelve Years a Slave, he's back in the Bahamas. Um, and and uh, Caribbean plantation culture. Among the worst. Are you, and now are you grading slaveries? <laughs> I'm going to say that the slaveries in the Caribbean were some bad slaveries. Zero out of 10 stars. Yeah. I'm going to write some very bad Yelp reviews yeah. about Bahamanian, Bahamian, right? Bahamian. I would say Bahamanian because I it's mispronounce pa- things and invent words. Well, it's because it's Panamanian, but really that's insane. It, it would be Canadian. Our, our Canadian listeners know. <sighs> That it would be Bahamian, but Bahamian just sound. It sounds like uh, it sounds like um, the Baha'i faith a little <laughs> it does, bit. It does. You don't like that? No, no. I love. Hey, oh. listen. I'm not coming out against Baha'i. No, they'll get you. Um, but in his absence, now that the the men, the families of Fort Mose are moved back into Saint Augustine, suddenly Saint Augustine now has this class of freed blacks who are no longer off across the marsh, but are mingling with the population they have trades you know they they're builders and they um are you know capturing wild horses and cattle and becoming you know they own livestock they're ranchers but also versed somewhat in the culture of the virginias yeah many of them so yeah they just kind of contribute to this melting pot of saint augustine which now has this this uh, class of polyglot multicultural free blacks right um and then menendez returns he escapes 
We don't know how. Could uh, was he, you know, ransomed or traded? Did he escape? Did he somehow buy his freedom? He wangles his way back. Wangle? Is that a word? Is that a uh, colonial word? Probably uh, at he the wangles. time. At the time. Do you not wangle? I don't want anyone. I don't want you wangling during the show. No, I don't want anyone wangling around me or to me. Don't at wangle me. But by the time he gets back, um, Fort Mose has been rebuilt. And we don't know why. I mean, it's it's easy to read this as, uh, you know, for 12 years, this was an example of, you know, maybe a different kind of colonial America. Um, but is, is it rebuilt as a, as a symbolic gesture or is it doesn't sound like a nice place to live? No, it's, and in fact, it's rebuilt in a different place. Oh. You know, the second Fort Mose is elsewhere off in the marshes, but it does seem like, um, you know, this is where the black population is going to live. And who knows that, you know, that I, I don't think the history says whether that's a people wanting their autonomy or a people getting sick of the aggressions, big and small of the, of the, the moneyed class in St. Augustine, or if it's outright, People that love mosquitoes. <laughs> right. There's just not enough sawgrass and mosquitoes in the town. I mean, you know, maybe they wanted more space and autonomy. I don't know. It also seems very likely that it, the city is not in love with um, a black population at a time when, um, you know, there's a lot of built-in religious ideas about their inferiority. So, um, But Menendez comes back and leads this new second Fort Mose. And this is this all happens just in time for the Seven Years' War to break out. Um, and Spanish Florida pretty much collapses. It's broke. Uh, it turns out it cannot compete with the thriving plantation culture built on the backs of slaves just a few hundred miles north. Um, and as a result, the treaty at the end of the war cedes Florida to Britain in exchange for letting Spain keep Cuba. Like yeah. that. They were like, please let us have Cuba, and they, but they had to give up Florida. And now— Our slave economy is— is really booming in Cuba. <laughs> you can keep our dysfunctional slave economy. So there's no point to Fort Most now, you know, like, um, you know, Spain, there, it was great to have a black militia there, but now, now there's nobody to have a black militia against. So this experiment um, ends and the 50 free black residents still living in Mose, including Menendez and his family, decamp for Cuba, you know, the last bastion of, of not British slave culture in that part of the Caribbean. Um, they found a new town called St. Augustine. This is St. Augustine Dos, St. Augustine of Nue de Nueva Florida. Um, they're considering Cuba Nueva Florida, you know? Right. Um, and at that point, the community kind of disappears from history. It, uh, there's no longer any record of what happens to Menendez and his 50, uh, 50 emigrants from, from Fort Mose. St. Augustine not being one of the main cities of Cuba. Yeah, I don't know if it even survives to this day. Like, is there is there a Saint Augustine, a San Augustine, Cuba now? It does not appear. Uh, at least when you when you Google Saint Augustine, Cuba, uh, it autofills to Saint Augustine Cuban restaurant, <laughs> probably in Miami Beach or something. But it's just an interesting. Uh, you know, and, and you asked about how this all came up. There was a, uh, in the 20th century, there's kind of an interesting story where St. Augustine actually is the site of a bunch of uh, civil rights battles, a lot of sit-ins, a lot of swim-ins, you know, because it's got this, it's got a tourist trade, it's got this symbolic import as America's oldest city, um, and it's still not treating its black people great in the 60s, as you might imagine. Um, so it's not, nobody's that interested in studying African-American history of the region, but there's this uh, amateur archaeologist named Jack Williams, who's a World War II veteran, who is really interested in, um, as you might imagine, for a white guy of this era, he's really interested in military history. Wait a minute, and he's <laughs> or or today or or anybody who listens to the Thursday Omnibus. Um, so he's very interested. Second only to my train sets. He's a, he's interested in uh, finding Fort Mose, and uh, you know, not so much because he cares about its racial significance, but just because of, you know, other military campaigns that have involved that part of Florida. And uh, he finally tracks down where it is, does some digs, finds some rum bottles and some amulets, and says this is Fort Mose. The local historical society hates him because he's an outsider and they don't care about black history. But he finally is able to get the University of Florida to come check it out and sign off and say, yes, this is where this uh, early city of, of free blacks was. Does and do any foundation Florida. survive? Is it is it actually like a is it just a, a shell midden or is it a 
uh, I, town. They dredged that part of the marsh to build modern St. Augustine. So uh, the place where Fort Mose was located is no longer solid ground. So you can go there today. There was a long legal battle between Williams and the state um, because he tried, once he found out where it was and they were like, oh, this is like actual military history, Florida history, black history. The state tried to buy it um, to make it a, a monument or whatever and offered him, you know, in his opinion, a tenth what it was worth. He kept turning on their offers. They finally took him to court and took it. He um, owned it somehow? Yeah, he had once he knew what it was, he had bought the land. Oh. Um, and so depending on who you ask, you know, his descendant, the state claimed eminent domain and just took and basically took it from him for much uh, half what he thought it was worth. Right. This is some interesting research that was done by a web journalist and blogger named Jordan Plumetti. He tracked down this Jack Williams guy's descendants, and they still think he was you know, mistreated by the state and the local historical society was, you know, mad that he got there first. And, uh, you know, I think the, the state would say that he was just some crackpot. Sure. Guy with the metal detector. Guy with the metal detector. Um, I'm seeing here the, the Fort, uh, Mose historic state park. Yes. Uh, they're actually, they have like, uh, uh, like, Black militiamen in full-on Revolutionary War reenactment con- uh, costumes firing muskets. That's that, a whole thing. That might be kind of a once-a-year thing. I think. I think. In fact, there is a there is now a state park there, but a state you know historical monument there. But I think it's kind of a you know relative to the, how important and inspiring the story could be. It's a pretty small, rundown visitor center. A little swampy. There's, yeah. yeah, and they're basically, it's just a boardwalk where you can walk out and look and say, yeah, over there in what is now this awful bog, there was once a, a thriving black city. Let me just asterisk there and say, I'm pro-bog. You love, I recognize that bogs are you love all v- the bogs. vital part of the ecosystem. Not like Ken, who's against bogs. I'm not against bogs. I have a, a friend and I always, when we're at a place that has one of those interpretive signs that tells you how um, the importance of the wetlands, mm-hmm. you know, what a, what a complicated thriving ecosystem, you know, we always take a picture of those and send them to each other. Cause no matter where in the world you are, there will always be this nearly identical sign right. telling you how great the wetlands birds. are. It's about birds, Ken. They need a place to land. And I think that is who comes to this visitor center. You know, you think it would be black kids on field trips, but it's a lot of birders. Oh, um, right. Hoping to see the, the green tufted, yellow bellied sapsucker sure, swan heron or, or whatever it is. And, but there's a sign there that says, you know, welcome to freedom, you know, trying to recover some of this underground railroad narrative. But, um, you know, even though the park is quiet and little visited, it really does make you think, you know, is there an alternate America? You know, like, could there be a different blueprint for the continent where, uh, you know, it was a kind of a, a bustling Creole vibe where everybody was different, but... Everybody had got along. You know, what if Spain had won that geopolitical battle and the city on the hill had included free black people and the nearby tribes and, you know, anybody else? I think we can look around all of Latin America and see where Spain did win that battle. And uh, questionable results. Maybe Florida is the only place. <laughs> right, in the, right in the middle, just a little It's between, little colony. The, between the genocides and the plantations. You know, maybe there was a, a little Venn diagram overlap. I think it is great, though, and I think the 21st century is going to see a lot more archaeology devoted to the black experience in America and more recognition. I mean, you see this with the with uh, black graveyards that started there with that excavation in lower Manhattan and now recognition that all the historic graveyards of the black community, a lot of them were paved over and turned into freeway overpasses. And there's all this interest in going back and establishing because, you know, when we think about the, just the tourist sites of colonial America, they all, they, they represent a kind of archipelago that tells the story of, the early United States and there's all that black it's, erasure. It's white. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and every, you know, and you'll have like, Oh, there's some reenactors over here in the slave cabin. Don't they look happy? But some <laughs> places still use the slave cabins for like weddings and corporate events. <laughs> right. You know? And, and so it's the pa- only part of the plantation that survives with, with the original architecture. Even if this is like a, <laughs> like a small little park, if it is an example of like the a beginning of a corresponding set of national parks and, you know, like sites where this, this parallel America, yeah, parallel yeah. America and the story is being told and it's being told in a, in a way that's 
you know, given its rightful place. It's wonderful. I was at an event not long ago where um, Brian Stevenson spoke. He's the guy that um, he started the Equal Justice uh, Initiative to try to get, um, you know, better outcomes from poor people and minorities in the in the criminal justice system in, in, in prisons in the South, mostly. Um, the, he was played by Michael B. Jordan in a recent movie, um, Just Mercy. And not he, that one where he's a he's not like a like a Jason Bourne type character. No. Okay. No. Oh yeah, he's Jack Ryan now. I've been, I've been right? meaning to watch that movie. Yeah, but. <laughs> and also not the one where he hates Black Panther. He's right. the, the one where he's a um, he's a uh, uh, um, a, a young young struggling lawyer trying to get a guy off death row. Oh, okay, good. I've seen that movie. One of those. Yeah. And uh, is and Susan he, Sarandon in that? You'd think <laughs> Brie Larson. And uh, he's talking about this new project. He just opened kind of a a museum in Montgomery, Alabama, where he lives kind of the history of the, what you're talking about, the kind of the un- underserved, un- undertold stories of the black experience. And he was saying one project he has is to try to find out if there's, you know, are there places where technology can actually find slave ships? Can you find wrecked slave ships? Can you find human remains from the, you know, cause famously what a third didn't make it across the yeah, right. ocean and were just, you know, dumped like, like excess cargo, you know, like are there different depths where some of those remains might survive, you know, like, Whoa. Could those become graveyards? Could we find could we find those places and, and make them destinations? And I was just fascinated, you know, because think of all the how many tens of millions of dollars have gone into trying to get some new old post from a banister on the Titanic or yeah. you know, or silverware from some other ship or or some, you know, your booty from a Spanish galleon. Well, that's the thing. There's so much energy going into finding those ships that are laden with Inca gold. Right. And uh, yet, like what could be more symbolic you know devastatingly symbolic than the the slave ships and and nobody's pouring money into trying to find those remains so that's like something he's trying to head up for the first time and i was like be fascinating like why are we trying to get forks off the titanic when we could be doing this well it does seem like something that futurelings will listen to this program and look back and sort of not comprehend a time when one story of the americas had been told and this you know this like companion story simultaneous equally like extraordinary but like founded in pain because they're racially enlightened they don't see the differences it would be yeah. it would be like us looking back at the you know chinese history of the three warring kingdoms period and like being expected to pick which of the warring kingdom was the good one you yeah know? well so much of what you think of as like the <clears throat> history as told from Egypt to Greece, et cetera, et cetera. Like we don't exactly, we don't have a sense of like who, who, I mean, we have, we have a, we know from Hippocrates or whatever that some ideas, but we don't know the culture, right? I think a lot of it might be just the urge to make things linear. You know, we, we have our kids draw timelines in school. And so you think of human history as it it goes like this, Egypt, then then Greece, then Rome, then, you know, no, you are, you are drawing one line, but it's a big planet. Yeah. The Ethiopians have a very different timeline. And that concludes bloody Mose entry 134.ez1106 certificate number 31305 in the omnibus. Future links in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era and the uh, like the implausible event that you don't know all about these stories that were now for the first time really adding to the historic record in the form uh, the the st- historic record that survives the apocalypse. It's a bummer for the real historians that did this work and then uh, you know people just hear us talk about it. Well, because but... every once in a while you or I will actually mention the person. That they're <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like oh his name was Bob uh, Jenkinstein or something. I'm not sure. I mentioned Jordan Blumetti in this in this show, so I, I, f- I feel a little less guilty. Uh, but you can find uh, our actual original research at Omnibus Project on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ken is at Ken Jennings. I am slash was at John Roderick. Also, you can find me at uh, patreon.com slash John Roderick. You can email us, which we encourage you to do. Although, if you're going to email us with, uh, like, if you're gonna if you're gonna shake a frying pan at us because we got some minute detail wrong, send it to uh, go f yourself at 
The Omnibus Project. Dead Letter Office. Gmail.com. But no, please email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. We welcome all your complaints. We do a monthly show about them. Yep. Ken and Mindy will read your emails, and then the ones that are that are expressly nice to me, they send me. I think the ones that if, are if, mean if, about if, me, they if, delete. Yeah, we actually haven't got one of those. But if, if we ever got a nice thing about you, we would send it to you. That's why I only get one email a month. Uh, you can support the show, and we encourage you to do it. This show was suggested to us by a Patreon supporter. And uh, and look how it turned out. Super good. Thanks, Connor. Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject for as little as $5 a month. You can hear our uh, monthly addenda show, and there are all kinds of goods and services available there. Also, uh, check out our Omnibus Project t-shirts that are uh, available. Ken, where, where can uh, futurelings and interested listeners find our Omnibus Project t-shirts. Go to omnibusproject.com slash store to find shirts and hoodies and magnets and mugs and more. The uh, the latest shirts are pretty cool. It's um it's the original Omnibus and Futurelink's design, but the Omnibus is in cool sparkly gold now. Yeah. And the Futurelink shirt glows in the dark. See? So I don't know. So I don't is. know what that's for. That's pretty hot. For late night, for daring pre-dawn raids. Well, that... Well, no, you don't want to wear it in a daring pre-dawn raid, but a daring pre-dawn rave... There you go. You might want your glow-in-the-dark omnibus shirt. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of rave. <laughs> a daring one. No, that was actually... I was just doing like a cool funk beat. It would be... Uh, I don't know. You're you're the beatboxer here. That's right. I'm just, I'm just opening your mail. Uh, you can go to Omnibus Futurelings, wherever Futurelings are found, on Discord and... Uh, Reddit. I feel like they just start, I feel like they just started a non-Facebook community, but the problem is the only place I read about it was on Facebook. I think it's at the, I think it's on Discord. Oh. They they have a new Futurelings group over there. Anyway, if you are savvy enough to look for Futurelings groups, you, you will probably find them. yeah, savvy enough to find them. And you can send us mail, and this is very exciting to us. We love opening mail. Send us actual mail. At P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I see you rustling through some packages there. Yeah, our, uh, our friend cartoonist David Chelsea, you mentioned that you have been reading comics. You've been reading graphic novels to your daughter. Yes. Out, you can read them out loud. Yes. And uh, David Chelsea has written a uh, an age-appropriate graphic novel for Dark Horse called Snow Angel. Cool off with Snow Angel, a new hero for all ages. An ordinary but contentious little girl becomes a crime-fighting cherub Whenever she makes an angel in the snow. Wow. Oh, so she doesn't die and become an angel who fights crime. She just... No. And this is a pre-frozen thing. She's not any kind of um, megalomaniacal weirdo. That's good. Um, but yeah, she gets magic powers when she makes a snow angel. Oh, I, When I make a snow that. angel, I just get, um, I just get water down my back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Thank you, David. And uh, Chris, apparently, there's, uh, I don't believe there's any explanation, but on a, on a trip that must have gone to... Oh, he must have been in South Dakota. He sent us two postcards. One is the USS South Dakota. So there it is. Despite, getting getting d- hit with a suicide do, uh, do, kamikaze. Do fighter. states really love their namesake battleships? I no, mean, they do. South Dakota's landlocked. What do they care about naval battles? You know, I uh, once I got to know several naval officers, I realized that a lot of them are from landlocked states. Uh, that's what. That's where the Navy has the most romance. I guess I, I had I had dinner with a with a bunch of naval officers at one point, and I thought to go around the the table and say like, where did you go to college? And <laughs> invariably they all went to like technical agricultural schools in Kansas and all these, all these crazy places. I was like, how did you join the Navy? And it is, they're like, get me out, get me out of here. <laughs> I think if you grew up in San Diego, it's like the bloom is off the rose for the Navy. But Chris also sent us this fantastic South Dakota postcard, South Dakota generic postcard, like a, and with a barcode. Like- I bet you could find that at wall drug. Yeah, I'm, that may be where he got it. On the back, you, it's even more dramatic or even more generic than that. You can you check a box to express to the recipient, I'm sending you this card because I'm cheap, but I still love you. I miss your body. I can't afford a phone call, etc. That's hot. And, yeah, why is that the second one, South Dakota? I miss your body. Dial it down, Rawr. South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> the hornier of the Dakotas. Uh, in South Dakota, I became a cowboy. Uh, finally found wall and tried to climb it. Uh, 
Uh, tried to add my face to Mount Rushmore. Great. Um, <laughs> but I do like a generic postcard. I like a generic postcard with no picture. Uh-huh. That's refreshing. I, I wonder if you scanned that barcode, what it would actually bring up. The numbers purport to be all zeros, but I can't. I cannot read barcodes with my eyes. Like right. um, seems like a Ken Jennings talent. I bet there's. I bet there have been people on Jeopardy who can just read a barcode, but um, I have not learned. Thank you, Chris and uh, David, for sending those along. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived before it sank into the salt marsh and sawgrass. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.